0: Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's the conclusion of Pastor Michael's Good Friday message from last year in John chapter 19 called The King Bears the Cross.
1: You can write down Matthew 16, 24 through 27, where Jesus says something similar and says, you could gain the whole world, but if if you, if you forfeit your soul, it wouldn't matter if you gain the whole world. It wouldn't matter what you get because your soul is so precious. And he says, take up your cross and follow me. That's a hard thing for modern uh, evangelical ears to hear sometimes because that requires something of us. That requires something more than just attending a church service or watching a church service. That requires something more than just saying, I believe or I have my get out of hell uh, free card. It it is a decision to be a disciple. Bonhoeffer, who tried to deal with uh, the rising of Hitler in Nazi Germany, said these words, and you'll remember that he was killed There in Nazi Germany, he was a pastor trying to give people hope. And he said these words, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. Grace is, cro- is costly, says Bonhoeffer, because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Yea, you were bought with a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son to, uh, to a dare price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. It wasn't a cheap price, if you will. It was a costly price, says Bonhoeffer. God did not spare his own son, but gave him up freely for us. We're to take up our cross and follow him. See, for many, many uh, believers in our world, this is a tough concept, but taking up our cross and following him is something that we do because we are disciples. Because a disciple is not above his master, amen? And sometimes we we think, well, maybe I can take the easy way out. Maybe I can just sit in the back row and take a little Christian stuff in. Maybe I can be a casual observer. But Jesus says, no, I want you all in. I want you to follow me. I want you to lay down your life. And you might say, well, what does it mean to take up your cross? This is not literally dying on a cross, although it could mean that for some people in history. So what does it mean? Well, it's a metaphor. It's a picture. And here's what the picture is. If you take the scriptures where Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, what he's essentially saying is it's not about you anymore. It's about God and it's about others. If you want a definition of what taking up your cross is all about, it's not about you anymore. It's about dying to self and living for God and living for others. And you know the beauty of taking up your cross is you find life there. You find what it really means to live is to sacrifice for others. And right now, we've been watching many people. I just saw a little interview with a uh, um Uh, Franklin Graham and his sons with Samaritan's Purse. And all of his sons are involved in the Billy Graham uh, Training Center or Samaritan's Purse or something related to what grandpa uh, established, Billy Graham established. And Franklin Graham took over the Samaritan's Purse. And he was talking about how a a man who uh, passed away, and I think this was sometime like back in the 70s, uh, had asked him. He started it, I think, in the 70s, but had asked Franklin to take over. And Franklin said, when he took over Samaritan's Purse, it was a he was the only person left. There was a couple of uh, receptionists, and they quit, and it was him. And he relocated the office to North Carolina. And Samaritan's Purse now, if you've been watching, is in New York and Italy. And in the name of Christ, with those tents with a cross, and Samaritan's Purse on the side are going in the name of Jesus and people are being saved and people are being ministered to see what it means to take up your cross is it means that you start, you start saying, Lord, I'm not going to make my life anymore about my selfish desires. That's not going to be what my life consists of. My life's going to be about you. It's going to be about mission. It's going to be about others. And that is a radical shift in our thinking. And some of you have gotten to that point where something, a light bulb came on and you finally realized that the Christian life was more than just attending church or checking in you know, to a, a religious service. It became about serving the king. It became about serving others. And the beautiful thing about it is that it's so freeing because you stop having to worry about yourself and you say, God, how can you be glorified? in my life. Now, Jesus bore his cross, and in typical Pastor Michael fashion, we've done one verse so far, and verse 17, he was bearing his cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. Some people know this is Gordon's Calvary. And uh, as I have been to Israel on a couple of occasions, there's actually a rock formation that looks a lot like a skeleton. And some people think that it could be the original side of the hill where the crucifixion victims were there. And the place of the skull, Golgotha, would have a skull type of um, uh, cut out into the rock. And crucifixion victims were probably dying right uh, in front of this place of the skull. And it was like, it's as if death was mocking them. You know, Jesus took the mockery of the soldiers and the religious leadership. And now it's as if death itself is mocking him. Or maybe you could say the one who has the power of death, that is Satan, right? But that power was taken away from him. You don't have to fear death anymore because Jesus, in dying on the cross, defeated principalities and powers, including Satan, at the cross. And he paid that ransom price for us. See, we can say with Paul, "O oh, death, where is your victory? First Corinthians 15:55, O oh, death, where is your sting?" Acts 2:24 says, "God raised up Jesus putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held by its power." This is our God. This is our savior. He reconciled us to God by the blood of his cross. And there, the there is Golgotha, they crucified him, verse 18, with him two other men on either side and Jesus in between. We read Luke's account and we realize that Jesus was crucified between two criminals, one on his left and one on his right. And I want you to see in this scene that you've probably maybe studied before or heard preached on before multiple times, that Jesus is right in the center of our sin and suffering. He's between two men that deserve to die because of their crimes. And he's entered into our pain. He's right in the middle of our pain with his arms extended to the world. All day long have I stretched out my hands, Romans 10, 21, to a disobedient people, God says in the book of Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah 65 five two. All day long, I stretch out my hands as if to say, come, I've entered into your pain. This is the God of Christianity. The God of Christianity entered into our pain. This is who he is. This is why David Crowder can say, oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us so. There he is between the two criminals extending his love to the world, seven to eight inch nails piercing into his hands and his feet. C.S. Lewis says of the cross, it is the diagram of love himself. It is the initiator Jesus is of all loves. If the cross is a diagram of his love, the positioning of the crosses on his right and left is a diagram on how love is dispensed to the world. Because it is through that act of love between two people that are dying that Jesus manifests his love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us that much. And, you know, um, the Jews like to say that when you're reading a scene in the Bible, try to put yourself there. And I want you to think for a moment, and this might be hard for you to do. What if you were on one of those crosses? What if it was your dying moment? You know, uh, there, there's an alarming thing happening in our world where people are dying, but it's not just of the coronavirus. If you do comparative statistics of even, you could look at the flu every year, you could look at the AIDS epidemic, you could look at other things that have happened in our world, car accidents, suicides, abortions, and the numbers can stagger you. And not everybody dies in their 90s. That's not the way it works. These two men are in their dying moments. And interestingly enough, one of them, and from the biblical record it would appear, just one of them turns to Jesus and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Isn't it amazing? You would think both of them, realizing who he was, would say, oh, please, if I could be with you today in your kingdom, please. And Jesus assures the one man who turns Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What's he say? Most assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. That man dying on that cross represents every believer who's ever had an epiphany moment of what the cross of Jesus is about. Someone who's been able to look in their own pain and suffering and say, look, he's there with me. He's entered into my pain. He's paying my price. And because of that, every believer that perishes today, you will be with me in paradise, Jesus says. To be absent from the body is to be what? At home with the Lord. In a place called paradise. That sounds pretty good to me. Amen? I was looking for a reaction, but you guys aren't here. (laughs) And so Jesus dies between these robbers and one of them comes to his senses after they're both insulting him. You can write down uh, Luke 23, 42 and 43. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, you can be assured, man. See, that's all it takes. He couldn't get off the cross and get baptized. He couldn't go do a bunch of religious works the Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, Pilate, verse 19, wrote an inscription also and put it on the cross and it was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. They would always put the written charge uh, on top of the, the vertical beam. This is why this person is dying. And here's the charge against Jesus. Jesus. Basically, it's because he said, I'm the king. Because he said, I'm the son of God. And he put it on the cross, and it was written in three languages, verse 20. It was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. You could say in three languages so that the whole world could read the sign. Any passerby could read it in his own language. You know, right now, um, they're saying that sales of the Bible are up astronomically uh, between last year and this year. In the midst of the coronavirus, Bible sales have, and the, the Bible's always the best-selling book, but literally Bible sales have blown up. Uh, they were interviewing the CEO of the Alabaster Company who says sales of Bibles are up 143%. LifeWay Christian Resources' Ben Mandrell, CEO of LifeWay, told Fox News that he's seen an increase in Bible sales compared to last year of 62%. And Tyndale says Bible sales compared to last year are up 44%. At least the world and and the United States knows where to turn when we're in trouble. But why don't we turn when we're not in trouble? Why are we that way? Why why do we wait until we're in the foxhole to cry out to God? But God is so gracious, just like that thief on the cross, that even in a time of emergency, and national emergency, and I'm grateful that many are turning to God, he's so gracious that he'll accept you right now. And if you've been turning to God in these moments of uncertainty, you don't know where to turn, you've turned to your Bible, thank God. You'll discover the Christ of the Bible as you read. And I would encourage you to read the Gospel of John. Read it all the way through. And so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I'm the king of the Jews. And Pilate, finally having enough, verse 22 said, what I have written, I have written. They said, don't say, don't write that he's the king of the Jews Right that he claimed to be the king, king of the Jews, NIV. And Pilate's answer in the Greek is in the perfect tense. Literally could be rendered, what I have written, I have written. And it will always remain written. It will remain written forever. And here we are reading the writing. Isn't it interesting? So many people have wanted to change this story. So many people have said, oh, Jesus didn't really claim to be the Messiah. Jesus didn't really die on the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. And they come up with all these theories trying to change what has been written. But what has been written will be written forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. It stands written forever.
0: You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Pastor Michael Lance has invited you to celebrate Easter at Living Truth Christian Fellowship
1: in Corona. Early risers can come to the first service at 6 a.m. Just bring a chair and a blanket, maybe a carafe of coffee or whatever you need. And we'll be celebrating the Lord early in the morning as the sun comes up. You're also invited to worship with us at the 10 a.m. service live streamed on the Living Truth YouTube channel. Now, if you haven't been to church in like a year, and remember the shutdowns really came into effect around Easter time last year. It was strange not to be together with the church last Easter. That's not going to happen this year. We're going to be with the saints of God, man. And if you haven't been to church for a while, what a great time to come back. Visit Living Truth Christian Fellowship on Easter Sunday at 6 a.m. or 10 a.m. But if you live outside Southern California or can't attend service, you're still invited to worship with us at 10 a.m. Live streamed on the Living Truth Christian Fellowship YouTube channel. Visit walkintruth.com and click on YouTube or download the free Living Truth app.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app
1: to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today.
0: We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walkin' Truth.
1: So many people have said, oh, Jesus didn't really claim to be the Messiah. Jesus didn't really die on the cross for the sins of the world. Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. And they come up with all these theories trying to change what has been written. But what has been written will be written forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. It stands written forever. And the good news is that people are picking up the Bible afresh. And they're reading about this savior. And isn't it interesting that even Pilate's pen, the Roman governor, testified to the truth of Jesus Christ? They couldn't change it. And so many people want to change it, but here's the thing. Don't try to change it. Just accept it. Jesus died on the cross for you because he loves you. Ask him into your life. The soldiers, therefore, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments, made four parts or four shares, Apart to every soldier, also the tunic or the undergarment. Now, the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece, 24. They said, therefore, to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. That the scripture might be fulfilled, they divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. That's Psalm 22. Written a thousand years before Jesus was born through the mouth of David by the Holy Spirit, a specific detail among many details. In fact, when Jesus dies on the cross, 28 prophecies are fulfilled just in Jesus dying on the cross. Several of them from Psalm 22. And that's Psalm 22 verse 18. Written a thousand years before it happened. The Bible is the word of God. And one of the things that gives evidence to its authenticity, to its divine origin, is prophecy. And here is a prophecy. And isn't it sad? Jesus has gone through so much, and the soldiers right there, perhaps at the foot of the cross, are gambling for his clothes. Can you imagine if you were on a cross, and they had stripped you of your clothing, and you looked down in your pain and suffering and saw people gambling for your clothes? Brutal. The four Roman soldiers were an unwitting picture of a world without God, says R. Kent Hughes, a capsulization of the world's neglect of Christ's atoning death. The Roman soldiers also gave a potent reminder that the world is a cold place. Robert J. Ringer described life as a giant poker game with everyone after your chips. There are three kinds of people, said Ringer, in life. One, those who are after your chips but won't let you know it. Two, those who are after what you have and let you know it. And three, the most dangerous, those who are after your chips in this poker game but don't even know it themselves. It's a cold world, close quote. We can see it In the time of crisis, as many good things have been happening with people sharing, there's been some ugly scenes as well with people hoarding. And this is just a small snippet. Imagine if we entered into the last days that the book of Revelation describes. Imagine how the world would respond. We're responding to a virus right now, but think about those moments. See, if you're depending on man, if you're depending on the goodness of man and man's just gonna be kind and, and help you through and help you out, it's not the way it works. See, the world says there's no free lunch and the world's right. And it's even hard within the church with other believers for us to love each other the way we're supposed to, let alone in the world. I'm not saying there's not good things that happen. I'm not saying there's not kind, benevolent people. But I'm saying at this crucifixion scene, this is what happens to the Son of God. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. We're only going to go up to verse 30 tonight, but there was standing by the cross of Jesus. Notice the camera now shifts from the soldiers to his mother, Mary, his mother's sister. That's probably Salome. Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. You have Three Marys there, and you have Salome. And there they are standing at the cross. And it's notice in verse 25, it's standing by the cross was his mom, his mother, Mary. It would appear just from taking the language at face value that Mary was at the foot of the cross watching her son die. I know for many of you who have uh, ever had to experience watching a loved one suffer and then die. It's a its a heart-wrenching experience. And Mary, who was told by Simeon in the temple that a sword was gonna pierce her heart, Luke chapter two, now has that realization as she's watched her son brutally crucified and now she stands at the foot of the cross and she's there watching him die. You know, uh, for moms and dads, We, we have snapshots of our kids' lives when they're little and we remember sometimes the first steps that they take and we remember, we remember, uh, you know, very special moments of childhood and that kind of thing. And I I wonder what was flashing through Mary's mind as she could remember the night when he was born and the shepherds came. And she could remember Simeon's words in the temple and so many tender moments that we don't have a record of that Jesus experienced with his mom. And now she's watching him die. I think in her heart of hearts, she knew this day was coming, but it was still hard and heart-wrenching. And there's mom, ever faithful, standing by the cross. Four believing women contrasted with four unbelieving, cold-hearted soldiers. Their hearts were melting. The soldiers' hearts, at least at the moment, were cold. Mary Magdalene was a woman who had been touched by Jesus and she had been forgiven much and delivered from much and she loved much. In fact, Luke chapter eight tells us that Mary Magdalene was delivered from seven demonic spirits in her life by the powerful hand of Jesus, by his power and the way that he sets people free. And she couldn't stop following him. It was Mary that was at the foot of the cross. It was Mary Magdalene who was the first one to the tomb. It was these women and only apparently John, the apostle, who were there, who were brave enough to be there as Jesus was dying. It's an amazing love. And people who have been touched by Christ, they can't help themselves. They find themselves often bid to come to the foot of the cross. John was there as well, the beloved apostle. And uh, he stood by. And Jesus, in his dying moments, as he's taking the curse of sin upon himself, notice what he does. When Jesus saw his mother, therefore saw his mother, 26, and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour or that time, the disciple John took her, Mary, into his own household. Remember that Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him and uh, James didn't even believe until after the resurrection. Joseph, it be- becomes clear from this and other accounts in the Bible that Joseph is is gone, that he's dead. And Jesus, in his dying moments, is still caring about others. He's dying for the sin of the world, but he wants to make sure his mom is taken care of. And Being the firstborn, Jesus had the responsibility in the family to care for aging parents and especially care for uh, a widowed mother. And he has to now entrust the care of his mom to John. There's extra biblical sources that tell us that Mary lived with John some 11 years. We don't know if all these facts uh, are, are the case, but John did take care of her. And it would appear that maybe they even did some ministry together. And imagine the stories that they could tell about this Jesus. Well, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, here from Psalm 6921, said, I am thirsty. Psalm 6921 says, They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Jesus, after giving the care of his mother into John's hand, as we put together the Gospels, it appears that that's the moment or right close to them that everything went dark in the world. Multiple sources outside the Bible describe a fearful darkness that lasted from noon to three in the afternoon on a spring day. It couldn't have been an eclipse of the sun. And it was a fearful darkness, almost like the darkness back of the ninth plague of Egypt as Jesus, the Passover lamb, is dying on the cross. There was a darkness that covered the land from the uh, Matthew 27, 45 says from the sixth hour, it fell upon the land to the ninth hour. And this darkness gives this idea of the curse. Darkness is a sign of judgment. And this is where a lot of scholars believe that Jesus is actually suffering the weight of sin, the curse of sin. He becomes a curse for us. And this is where some brilliant minds think that in some way his fellowship was hindered. This perfect fellowship he had with his father was hindered. And in some way, the father turned his face away. I don't understand that. I don't understand the angles of that. But Jesus from the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the darkness, why have you left me all alone? There he is taking the wrath of God on your behalf. There he is taking the curse of sin on your behalf. There he is drinking in the judgment, the dregs of judgment on your behalf and my behalf. A jar of, full of sour wine or wine vinegar was standing there 29. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine, uh, of, of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. They would use this branch to reach up to the crucifixion victims. And interestingly enough, it was hyssop that was used in Exodus 12, to apply the blood of the Passover lambs to the doorposts and lintel. Isn't it amazing that at this very moment, they take wine to put to the lips of the Passover lamb using hyssop. And hyssop was what they used to apply the blood of the sacrificial lamb to the door and lentil to protect them from the wrath of God. And there is Jesus in his dying moments as our Passover lamb, final verse. When Jesus therefore had received the sour wine, he said, to is the single Greek word. It is finished. That phrase means paid in full. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit it feels good to pay something off. If you uh, have been a person who's had a car payment, or uh, for those of you who have been fortunate enough to pay off your house, it feels good. When you have something paid in full, when you no longer owe that debt to that debtor, oh man, it's freeing. It frees up money to do other things it frees up the burden of that debt some of you have had debt collectors call you you've been late on your payments and you know the the burden and the stress and some of you are in that time right now where you don't even know how you're going to pay your debt well your sin debt from the cross jesus says is paid in full paid off once for all for all time the most important debt that we ever owed has been paid by our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he bows his head. Notice, he gives up his spirit. It's uh, 3 in the afternoon. And I want to just make a quick connection for you. They would take a lamb for the nation that would die in the temple. And uh, the high priest would be involved in that sacrifice. They would blow a shofar at twilight at 3 in the afternoon to tell the people of Israel that the Passover lamb for the nation had been sacrificed in the temple. They did it at three in the afternoon. They would blow the shofar and the high priest would say, get this, it is finished. And maybe when he was mouthing those words from within the temple, Jesus was mouthing them from the cross as if to say, I'm the fulfillment of what you do every year. It is finished. It's paid in full. See, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God, it's eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus' control is shown here because he gives up his spirit. He bows his head as if to say, Father, I, I finished the work you gave me to do. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. He gives up his spirit so they don't break his legs, which is also a fulfillment of prophecy and the debt has been paid. And Good Friday is hard, but it's good. And Sunday morning is a coming because death didn't have the final word for Jesus. Jesus is gonna rise, and that arise is what we're gonna talk about on Sunday as we study part two of John chapter 11, looking at the raising of Lazarus. And I'm looking forward to being with you on Resurrection Sunday morning. And my prayer for you, as you are uh, just meditating on the word of God right now, is that you would hear Jesus's voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. That thief, John ten ten, that comes to kill and steal and destroy won't snatch them out of my hand. He says, my father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one.
0: You've been listening to The King Bears the Cross, part two on Walk in Truth. That was the conclusion of Pastor Michael's Good Friday teaching from last year in John 19. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, how are you doing? Are you in need of some counsel or advice? If you simply need prayer or to be heard, please give us a call. We have pastors at the church that are ready to talk to you Tuesdays through Fridays. Call 844-48-TRUTH during normal business hours. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Now, here's Pastor Michael with a word.
1: Well, there's nothing like the cross of Jesus Christ to show us God's amazing love And his holiness and justice, they intersect at the person of Christ on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross is God's love on display, but it is also God's justice on display. That's the intersection of God's love and holiness, love and justice. And it was put on display at the cross because sin is so serious. Jesus had to die a horrific death in our place and deal with the wrath of God at the cross And it's God's love on display because God so loved us. He didn't want us to perish in our sin. That's why Jesus came. That's why the king bore the cross. He didn't deserve it, but he did it for us so we could be free from the penalty of sin and death. Won't you trust him today? Say, Lord Jesus, pray it if it's you. And if you're driving, keep your eyes open. He'll hear you. I believe you died on that terrible cross for me, took the wrath of God for me, rose from the dead three days later for me. I trust in you as my Lord, my Savior, my King, and my God. I repent, and I place my faith in you. If you're backslidden, help me follow you, Lord. I'm sorry that I've walked away. If you're a first time making a commitment, I repent and receive you. Thank you that it's paid in full at the cross for me. Thank you for grace, Lord Jesus. Amen. Man, the gospel means good news, and it is such good news, and it doesn't end at the cross. Remember, Sunday mornings a coming. That's right. And we have two Sunday morning Resurrection Easter services at Living Truth, where I serve as senior pastor, a 6.15 a.m. sunrise service, bring a chair and a blanket, maybe some coffee or water, and we're going to gather in the parking lot of Living Truth as the sun comes up. And we'll be celebrating the risen Lord. And then at 10 a.m. we have a second uh, Resurrection Sunday service that we'll also live stream on our YouTube channel. But there's nothing like coming in person. This would be a good time maybe to come back to church on Resurrection Sunday morning at Living Truth 1009 Arsenal Way in the city of Corona, right off the 91 Freeway and Lincoln Avenue. Hey, if you've been listening for a while and you're like, man, I'd like to check out that church, what you hear on the radio is coming from the Pulpit Ministry of Living Truth, and you can check us out. Uh, You can get information, driving directions, and come on out with your family. Don't forget, on uh, Resurrection Sunday morning, we'll also have a breakfast going, supporting Royal Family Kids Camp, And that's going to be in between the services starting at about 730 in the morning. And you can come and eat before the 10 a.m. or following the sunrise service. Get all the info you need when you download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app in your app store. Look for the red logo with the pillars or remember walkintruth.com. Hey, we love you. God bless you. The Lord is risen indeed. Look forward to Resurrection Sunday morning.
0: And join us Monday as we return to Pastor Michael's teaching series in the book of Job. Monday's message is about wisdom that falls short. I'm Mike Massaro. Have a blessed Easter and thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.